0: Today we'd like to talk about someone whom I consider a rather tragic character, that's King Saul. I'd like to begin by going back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17. Here the people are told about the time that would come when they would want a king. 17, beginning in verse 14 of Deuteronomy. When you are come into the land which the Lord your God gives you, and shall possess it, and shall live therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations which are about me. You shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God shall choose, One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you, which is not your brother. And he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said to you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart does not turn away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book, which is before the priests, the Levites, And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to practice them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brothers, and that he turn not aside from the commandment, to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, He and his children in the midst of Israel. It was many years later, centuries, that God actually let them have a king. In a sense, God was protesting. He wanted to be their king. But the king they wanted was like it said back there in Deuteronomy, a king like the other nations have a king. Let's move forward to 1 Samuel in chapter 8 verse 4 All the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel to Ramah. Now you see, time of Judges, that dark time had already been going on for hundreds of years. And he said to them, Look, you're old, and your sons are not walking in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Way back in Deuteronomy, it said they were going to want that, and now they did. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Pay attention to the voice of the people and all that they say to you for they've not really rejected you, but they have rejected me, God, that I should not rule over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and have served other gods, now they do also to you. Therefore now pay attention to what they say, howbeit yet protest solemnly to them and show them the kind of king that shall reign over them. If you go on reading the passage, he's going to explain how this king that they wanted is going to oppress them. He's going to enrich himself from them. It not quite be what he ought to be. We saw back in Deuteronomy that the king should read every day in God's book. But I doubt that many ever did that. That would have helped them to go the right way. But they demanded a king and basically God said, okay, I'll let you have what you want. Well, they had to choose a king and Samuel was the one that needed to get God's direction as who would be chosen. Go over to chapter nine. We find in verse 21. Saul, whom God had chosen, protested. He had a humility about him to begin with, which was, I think, commendable. When Saul had told him about he's going to be chosen to be the king, am not I a Benjamite from the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, Wherefore, then, do you speak thus so to me? So Saul was objecting. He, in humility, he didn't think this was something he could handle. Reminds me a little bit of Moses, who, lay, who earlier had also objected. And yet, this was God's choice. And had Saul followed the book of the law and done the things as he was told, He'd have been okay. But going on into chapter 10 of Samuel, we find this in verse 9, again, showing his reluctance. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. That was good. Looks like God was going to help Samuel here. And in all those signs, they came to pass that day. You can read the context if you wish about that. And when they came there to the hill, look, a company of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. So we find that God gave Saul another heart and now he joined a group of people, valiant people who were prophesying Well, this was, was it not, a good start. Verse 26, chapter 10. Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. So he had a pretty good start here. Gave him a new heart, prophesied with valiant people, and now he's, with a group of people that are doing well. It's good to have good companions, is it not, in our lives, to choose good people. It's good to have Christians as good friends, is it not? So Stahl made a good start. Not only that, after he became king here, there was a serious situation which arose. You can read about this in chapter 11 of 1 Samuel. Jabesh Gilead, a city the other side of the Jordan River, being attacked by the Ammonites. They were going to do some terrible things to them, but the Ammonites said, we'll give you a chance to call for help. Why would they do that? Maybe because they thought they'd get a greater battle and have a greater victory and more spoil of the battle. At any rate, they were gonna give him a little time to call for help. They did. Saul, the king, responded with an army and had a great victory over these Ammonites. Their king was named Nahash, which means serpent or snake. (laughs) He was a pretty bad guy. But Saul came in and with God's help and the army, they conquered him. They continued to be enemies. Later on, when David became king, he fought against them and conquered them as well. So Saul had a good beginning. He prophesied, he got another heart, he was with good people. He had an outstanding victory to begin his reign. And had he kept on the straight and narrow way of God and read in God's book and obeyed his commands he would have been fine. Now we're challenged that way are we not? To start well and to continue well. To achieve God's victory in our life. To help others. To do what God commands us to do. But didn't go that way. I believe that sometimes we can learn from the mistakes and sins of others. I believe what happens later here is a great lesson for us and a teaching that we should avoid the pitfalls into which King Saul fell. He could have gone God's way. His dynasty, his children could have continued as kings, God had said that could be so if he followed God. But even though he began humbly and started well, he ended up badly and very poorly. Going on to chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. By the way, I'm skipping chapter 12, but it's a great chapter. You might want to read that one. At any rate, in chapter 13... He was to be in a battle here but he was to wait until Samuel came for seven days a week that had been made very clear to King Saul but instead of waiting as he was commanded what did he do chapter 13 verse 8 he waited seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, now here's where he did wrong. The command was to wait for Samuel. Well, he waited the seven days, but Samuel hadn't come quite yet. So Saul said, bring here a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Now you see, he had no business doing that. He needed to wait till Samuel got there. That's what he'd been ordered to do. And it happened that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, look, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And he said, well, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together to Michmash, therefore I said, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I forced myself and offered a burnt offering. (laughs) He forced himself, as it were, to do what he should not do. He needed to wait just a little bit longer. He needed to do what he had been ordered to do. He needed to wait until Samuel got there, but he didn't. He took matters into his own hands. I forced myself. He figured out what was best and what he ought to do, and he went ahead and did it, even though it was contrary to what he'd been ordered to do. Do we ever take matters into our own hands? Do we ever think that, well, really, I know better. I know what I ought to do here. Circumstances require it. So that's what he did. Well, if you read on in the passage, you'll find that Samuel pronounced God's judgment, that his kingdom would not survive, that his dynasty would not be perpetuated, that his sons and their sons and so on would not continue, as could have happened had he been faithful faithful and true to God and obedient. But no, he thought he knew better. Well, this is a warning to us, is it not? But it didn't stop there. They were ready for battle again, as it were, with these Philistines. There was a good victory in chapter 14 by his son, Jonathan. That's an inspiring chapter to read. But then we come to chapter 15. And here, again, Saul has his orders from God through Samuel. They would take revenge upon the Amalekites, a very bad people who had attacked them earlier. And they were to eliminate all the sheep and the cattle and so forth. They were to act as God's hand of judgment. You can read about this in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. Well, what happened? Again, Saul is disobedient. Again, Saul does not do what God tells him to do through Samuel. And he went ahead and he made a sacrifice. And he kept the sheep, and he kept the cattle, and he kept the king, Agag, of the people, Well, what happened then? Samuel shows up, and we find that Saul makes an interesting claim. Samuel told him in verse 18, reading onward The Lord sent you on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. And fight against them until they be consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? But you did fly upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord. Then amazingly, Saul said to Samuel, Yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites." But the people, blaming them, it's so easy to blame others. Many people do that all the time, never themselves. The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord your God in Gilgal. He puts a religious twist on it. This is really good. This is to sacrifice to God. <laughs> Well, earlier Samuel had asked, well, how come he heard the bleeding of the sheep and all this kind of thing? But Samuel says, Saul says, this is a good thing. It's a sacrifice to God. Now we come to a couple of memorable statements here, verses 23 and 4. These are statements worthy of underlining and worthy of giving serious consideration to. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to pay attention than the fat of rams. Because rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is like sin and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Isn't that interesting what he says rebellion really is? It boils down to witchcraft or divination. What stubbornness against the Lord really is. When you reject the word of the Lord, it's like sin and being an idol worshiper. So Samuel told it as it truly was, not as Saul lied about what had really happened here. But notice, because of this, he has rejected you from being king. Chapter 13, his dynasty was destroyed. Now... He himself is being rejected as being their king. Tragic character. Unfortunately, though, it didn't stop there. Well, if you go on to chapter 16, that's where God sent Samuel to anoint one of the sons of Jesse. You can read about that. I referred to that the other day, about how God sees the heart. Well, Samuel went to Jesse's house and there were his sons. The older ones God rejected. That were all the sons that he saw there. And so Samuel asked, are there any others? Oh yeah, well there's David. He's out there taking care of the sheep. Well, call him. They brought David in. That's when God spoke to Samuel, this is the one. So he anointed David, the young one, in the midst of the brethren, the one whom God had chosen. Saul, yes, had been rejected, now personally. But the thing is, he kept on acting as king. But David had been secretly anointed here. Well, what happens later? Go over to the next chapter, chapter 17. This is a chapter about everybody's heard about what happened in that chapter. Again, they were to fight the Philistines. They'd been out there for weeks, and the Philistines had a great big strong tank of a man. He was over nine feet tall. He was a trained warrior, and every day he'd come out in the valley between the two hills where the armies were, and he'd throw out a challenge to the Israelites. Single combat, send me a man. If he gets me, we lose. We'll be your servants. If I get him, you'll be our servants. Well, Saul and all the rest of them didn't dare go out to fight this monster. His name, as you know, was Goliath. Well, how did David come into the picture? Well, his dad, Jesse, sent him with some food. He went to the army, and then he saw what was going on. And he didn't like it. Here was this guy challenging God, really. And uh, Saul finds out about this, and he talks to David, and he says, hey, you're just a kid, you can't deal with this. But David wanted to go fight him. He said, God will help me. And he told how God had helped him conquer a bear and a lion, and, and the Philistine to be like one of these animals. Well, somehow, Saul got persuaded Saul wasn't willing to go out, but okay, this young guy, he's willing to do it. Maybe something will happen. So he lets him do it. Well, David goes out there, but he doesn't have armor on. He doesn't have a sword. He does have a slingshot and five little stones he'd picked up out of the brook. And so Goliath comes on, and he challenges him. He challenges God. He says, I'm gonna give you, David, I'm gonna give you to the birds and the animals that are gonna eat you up. And David then responds and he says, I'm gonna give you and the whole army of the Philistines and the birds and the beasts are gonna eat you up. And so they start coming to each other. David runs toward him. And David takes out a rock, puts it in the sling slings it, hits right here under the helmet, big old heavy helmet, gets him right there in the forehead. He falls with a resounding crash to the ground. David goes and he takes Goliath's sword and he cuts off Goliath's head. And this is the beginning of a great victory. Later on, the ladies... They said, David has killed his 10,000 and Saul has killed his (laughs) 1,000. Saul didn't like that. He was very jealous of that. He wanted to stay king, even though behind the scenes he'd been rejected. Well, I should say behind the scenes, David had been anointed, but Saul had been told that he was no longer king by Samuel, as we saw. But he kept hanging on to it and kept being the acting king. But he didn't want someone who was going to take over the kingdom from him. He didn't want David to be king. And so he didn't like what the ladies were saying. But they were right. <laughs> David, 10,000. Saul, just a 1,000. David played and sang before Saul at Saul's request. And that helped Saul at times. But finally, he got so jealous and so protective of what he thought was his, at least two or three times in chapters 18 and 19 of 1 Samuel, you find that he threw a javelin at David and tried to kill him. Well, eventually then, David realized that his life was very, very threatened and in cooperation with Saul's son, Jonathan, he escaped. He ended up being like a fugitive in the wilderness. And Saul was so jealous and so disobedient that he had murderous intent. He continued that javelin intent against David. In chapter 23, a place called Mahan, we find that Saul pursued him. Now, Saul had around 3,000 people in his army. David had about 600 discontents that had joined themselves with him. And in chapter 23, we find that there was a a hill there or a mountain, and David ended up on one side with his men and Saul on the other. And then, as you read it carefully, it sounds like Saul had pretty well eventually surrounded David's little band But how did God save him? Well, Saul got word that the Philistines had invaded the land. So that, of course, had to take precedence, so he left off trying to kill David at that point to go and fight the Philistines. In chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, we find another murderous intent, this one in the wilderness of En Gedi, a well-known place of vineyards and so on. And... Here, an interesting thing happened. You can read it, if you wish, in 1 Samuel 24. We find that Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. He went to the bathroom there. He didn't know that in the cave was David and his men. (laughs) It was a pretty big cave. And David then got close to Saul and cut off a piece of Saul's robe but Saul didn't know he was there. It certainly didn't know the army was there. And then he went out of the cave and he went away. David then came out and David called after him and showed him what he cut off of his robe, (laughs) proving to him that he was in his hands and he refused to kill him. Well, temporarily that won Saul over and, and he left. But then in chapter 26, we find he's back again at it, again with his murderous intent, his jealousy, wants to eliminate David. This time it's in the wilderness of Ziph and the Ziphites had tattled on David that that's where he was. And so Saul assured that that was the case and down he came, oh, he came to, to get him. And in this case, we find the night had come and David decided to go down to the camp of Saul, his enemy, who wanted to kill him. And Abishai, one of the generals, Job's Joab's brother, went with King David. So they sneaked into the camp of their enemy, Saul. But if you read that chapter carefully, you'll find that a deep sleep from the Lord <laughs> had come upon the camp there and on Saul. And so here they come to the camp and they get close to King Saul and Abishai wants to kill him. But David would not stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed. So again, David has a perfect opportunity of eliminating Saul. But he absolutely refuses to do so. He trusts God with the situation. We find in Psalm 54, which we think is related to this incident, that David had prayed to God to cut off his enemies. Saul, of course, would be an enemy. The others would be enemies. And eventually God did, but David would not take that responsibility upon himself. Well, what he did do, he took the little pillow that Saul had and spear that was by him and he and Abishai left so again he yells after him it had gotten I guess light at this point and he shows him the pillow and the spear so for a second time now Saul realizes David had him in his hands he could have killed him but he didn't David was trusting God that's what we need to do Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He realized Saul had a position, at least formerly, and he refused to kill him. He didn't stain his hands with the blood of the king. So Saul again realizes, <laughs> David had me and he didn't kill me. This is good. David really is not my enemy. And so again, he left him. and As far as we know, he didn't try to get him anymore. But, finally, the time of a great battle again comes with the Philistines. And Saul is very concerned about this. And we find, again, he commits another bad sin. Go over to chapter 28, if you would. 1 Samuel 28. He went to what people often call the Witch of Endor. The Bible refers to her as a consult her with familiar spirits. You can read about this kind of thing in Deuteronomy 18, which is strongly condemned by the Lord. The bottom line, I think, is this, that people are trusting in the occult rather than in God himself. That's a serious thing. tells us that in Isaiah chapter 8. At any rate, what happened here? chapter 28 beginning in verse 6 and when Saul inquired of the Lord the Lord did not answer him neither by dreams nor by Urim nor by prophets then Saul said to his servants <clears throat> seek me out a woman <clears throat> who has a familiar spirit that i may go to her and inquire of her today we might call such a person a medium And his servants said to him, Look, there's a woman that has a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself, and he put on other clothing, and he went and two men with him. They came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray you, divine to me by the familiar spirit, and bring me up him whom I shall name to you. The lady said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, there shall no punishment happen to you for this thing. Then the lady said, Whom shall I bring up to you? And he said, Bring me up, Samuel. Now apparently this was actually allowed to happen. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. The woman spake to Saul saying, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Maybe she suspected that all along. Remember he was a tall, good-looking guy. King said to her, Don't be scared, for what did you see? woman said, to Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. He said to her, what form is he of? And she said, an old man comes up and he is covered with a mantle, a cloak. Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and he bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, why have you disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed because the Philistines make war against me, and God has left me, and he doesn't answer me any more by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have called on you, that you may make known to me what I shall do. Then Samuel said, Why then do you ask for me, seeing the Lord is departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done to him as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David, because you obeyed not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce wrath upon Amalek. We read about that, didn't we, back in chapters 13 and 15. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, And tomorrow you shall be and your sons with me. And the Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel tells him what's going to happen. He's going to die the next day. And unfortunately, as it were, his sons, including Jonathan, died with him. But we see what his evil actions eventually brought to pass. What we can learn is to be obedient, not to be impatient and go ahead of the Lord, not to decide we know better than God knows, but seek God's true answer. And we learn not to go to to mediums and those who consult with the dead. I mentioned earlier Isaiah. What does it tell us about this in chapter 8 of Isaiah? We find some very clear words beginning in verse 19, I believe it is. Isaiah chapter 8, 19 and 20. And when they shall say to you, seek to them who have familiar spirits and to wizards who peep and mutter. Should not a people seek to their God because the living to the dead? To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. In other words, we're not to seek advice from the dead. We're to seek advice and direction from God. This is so important that we find it mentioned in 1 Chronicles. Back in that book, chapter 10, here's what it says, verses 13 and 14. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he did not keep. And also for asking counsel of one who had a familiar spirit to inquire of it and did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he slew him and turned the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Wouldn't you say Saul is a rather tragic character and yet one from whom we can learn in a negative way? Don't make the mistakes that he made, but instead be patient, be waiting on God, be serving God, be believing God. Don't think that we know better and be much into the word of God. So very important. Now in closing, I'd like to mention something that I've talked about before. Perhaps you remember if you were here. By God's grace, I was converted out of what was called spiritualism, where you go to mediums and supposedly they give you messages from the dead. I went to my first seance when I was 12. I went to a church of spiritualists one time in Long Beach, the same man that was in charge of the first seance at his home. And I think there were about 100 people around a campfire. And then later, I believed these things. Once I made a pilgrimage to his house on my bicycle when I was about 14, I expected he was going to tell me something, but he didn't say anything along that line. But when I came to Christ, I realized I had to cut away my confidence in spiritualism. And I believe that I truly became fully a Christian when I did that. It was on a Wednesday morning, the lady that had helped me had sent me a booklet and it helped us see what the Bible says about spiritualism and enabled me to totally cast away my confidence in that and fully put my faith in Jesus. I had walked down the aisle in church the preceding Sunday night but I was still hanging on I believe to spiritualism I needed to give that up entirely which I did and so God then did a miracle in my life and so perhaps I'm a little more passionate and determined against that kind of a practice than some might be having experienced it myself well we need to follow God we need to believe in Jesus we need to not copy Saul. We need to copy those who follow the Lord, who live it, who put it into practice, who encourage each other as we do when we come to church, who continue letting the light of Jesus shine through our hearts and through our lives. That's a choice, isn't it? In fact, it's a daily choice, a choice to follow Jesus and to let him live through us not for our sakes, but for the glory of God. We need to keep that always in mind. That's what we're here for, to honor and to glorify God, to not only begin well, but continue well throughout our lives. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, that Even though Saul attempted many times to kill David, you protected David. We thank you that your will was accomplished in spite of his attempting to destroy it. We thank you, Lord, that your will will be accomplished. We thank that as you had a plan for David, which would happen, you have a plan for us. Help us to trust you and submit to you. We would now, Lord, bow before you. We would worship you. We would acknowledge you. We would accept the truth of your word. Be with your people here, this church, your church. Help those who have not been coming, perhaps because of fear of COVID-19. Pray that they might be strengthened and have faith and come. We thank things are getting better that way. We look to you. In Jesus' wonderful and powerful name we pray. Amen.